Welcome to the 865 Elite Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Saha. On today's episode, we have Maryville High School men's basketball coach Wes Lambert on the show. Coach goes over what each player should be doing in the offseason to prepare for their high school season. Coach Lambert, how are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, well, I've been enjoying listening to it. Uh, thanks. I appreciate you jumping on. Hey, with high school season and middle school seasons coming up, what should these kids be doing to get prepared for their seasons? I think priority number one is, is getting in a game ready condition. Um, the last thing a coach wants is first week of practice is guys you know, tired or skipping out on certain drills because they're hurt. Because a lot of times when you are, are not conditioned and ready for that level of competition, your body's going to break down. And you're going to start getting, you know, hurt more. Um, and, and we see it all the time. Guys think they're conditioned and then they come in and first thing that happens is a pulled hamstring or, you know, tight back. Um, so I would say, Priority number one is get your, your body ready for competition form. Um, you know, depending on what your high school or middle school's program does for conditioning, uh, you've got to supplement it. Um, and, you know, I think the game of basketball, you know, growing up, it was, it was almost like distance running. Like we were, I remember in college, we would, we would get our mile timed every morning um in the fall and and to me you know basketball yes is a is a long-term you know game where you're you have to be conditioned for that but I think it's more sprinting getting you know a high level of conditioning out of sprints and, and that's what we try to do in our program um you know after conditioning I think it is you know really trying to hone in on your your skills. Um, if you're more of a uh, shooter for your team, then you're grooving your stroke. You're getting ready for the season in that way. If you're if you're like a point guard or you know a two three that's a slasher, then you need to be focusing on the skills that will benefit your team um, and, and what what you bring to the table. Um, what's crazy is a lot of guys you know, if you can play defense and you can rebound, you're going to find a way to play in, in our program at Maryville. And, you know, how do you work on that? How do you practice that? That's all a mentality almost. Um, so, you know, in pickup, you're, you're focusing on what you think your role may be for the season, not necessarily trying to develop your offhand. And, yeah, that, that's important, but, you know, you got to look at the big picture. What is my role? How can I benefit, or how can I help my team win games? That's what I need to be focusing on. So you just talked about the, you know, developing your weak hand. What is the balance of working on things, you know, your weaknesses in the off season versus, you know, making sure your strengths are better? As far as the balances go, um, yeah, first, I think you've got to, you know, to be a student of the game 
after every season, you should come up with, you know, the top three things that you need to work on. And that's got to be your mindset as you enter into the off season. Uh, yeah, I want to know what I'm good at and I want to continue that, but I really want to focus on what I, what I lack. And so, you know, especially at the high school level, if you can't dribble right and left-handed, no matter what your dominant hand is, then you're, you're going to get passed up because somebody is going to be able to. Um, so I think the balance really is, you know, when if I look at a 45 to an hour workout, I want to spend at least, you know, 50% of that time working on my weaknesses, whatever that may be. You know, the other half can be, you know, skill development and shooting, but you really got to, in my mind, focus on your weakness. Does that change in terms of like the closer you get to the season? So would you recommend, you know, you know, to start AAU season and then, you know, say June through September to really hone in on trying to get better at your weaknesses and then concentrate on the things you're good at once the season comes? I think uh, I think the the natural progression should be, you know, before AAU, I'm working on my weaknesses, um, you know, more than anything else. During my summer, you know, AAU circuit, whatever I'm playing, uh, if we're practicing, I'm I want to be I want to be exposed almost in a sense. You know, I want to see where I fall, where I fall short. Um, now, game-wise, when I'm playing the AAU games, yeah, I want to I want to do whatever I can to to help the team out and and to you know play my role. So, not necessarily in the game working on your weaknesses, especially as you get into high school, because that's such a big recruiting uh, time. Um, but as you progress into the fall. I think it's, I think it, it, it transitions a little bit, you know, now it's, you know, 40, 30, 40%. I'm working on my weaknesses and the rest I'm, I'm gearing up, getting ready for the season. What do I need to do? What is my role for the team? How can I be better at that? What about adapting to your different roles? You know, a lot of the times, kids will play different roles from high school to AAU. Like how important is it to embrace? Yeah. You know, those different roles. It's funny you say that because um, I, I told my team this the other day in all of division one. So that's, uh, you know, 5,500 players roughly. Only 19 players average 20 points or more. All right. So in all divisions, there's 24,000 players, only 30, 136 average 20 or more. So you're telling me that basically 0.5% of all players average more than 20 points. So what does that tell you? Hey, you know, <laughs> your role may not be the scorer. Um, from a coaching standpoint, you know, I want to know as we go into the season, I know who my motion guys are. When I need, when we're stagnant and we're not playing well offensively, I know my best five that will get, you know, our offense going and they'll be in. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you can rebound, if you can defend, um, 
you're going to play in my program because not many people put emphasis on that. And, you know, it's evident, it's evident in today's game. It's evident watching, you know, kids growing up playing, they want to be, you know, fancy and they want to shoot the deep threes like Curry and, but that's not the case. You know, we can't have that. You can't be a successful team and have everybody out there wanting to be the leading scorer. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's funny, you you know, you talked about Curry. I was talking to someone about it the other day, and I know I'm biased with him being a Syracuse guy, but if you look at Carmelo Anthony, he's had a long basketball career because he's fundamental. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at guys like him and Tim Duncan, I mean – what do they do really well? They pivot. Yep. You know, and it seems like that's a lost art right now, especially with, you know, forwards where a lot of them don't want to go into that mid post area. Yeah. Those guys, those guys have mastered scoring on, you know, all three levels. Um, now, obviously, Steph Curry is, you know, a generational type player. Um, but, in a sense, he's almost ruined, uh, you know, kids growing up. There's nothing worse than opening a gym and every kid grabs a ball and the first thing you do is shoot an NBA three. Yep. Yeah, and it, it was really – so this past weekend, um, some of the fifth-grade teams were in that Eagleton League, and right. one of the better offensive players – on that team, I think she only scored six points. But she dominated the game on the defensive end. And it's so funny to see, like, the light bulb click in some of these kids where, like, they realize, like, I played great. And, yes, I only scored four or six points, but I had eight or – you know what I mean? Like, eight right. steals and I had a bunch of rebounds and a bunch of assists. And it's learning how to play – you know, without the ball and trying to contribute in other ways of just scoring? Well, it's it, it goes back to uh, this generation almost has uh, a little bit more selfishness than, than others, in my opinion. Um, everybody wants to be the, the leading scorer. Everybody wants to hit that game-winning shot. Um, and we talk about it you know, weekly, almost daily, in our program of, you know, find your role and master it. If your role is, is strictly rebounding, you're going to find a way to play because you're going to hopefully be the best rebounder on the court. And there's only one ball going around. <laughs> you know, not everybody can shoot it at the same time. How much skill development do you do with teaching kids how to play without the ball? Because it seems like right now and the way basketball culture is, is everything, be, you know, because of Steph Curry, everything's done with the ball and having three or four dribbles, you know, to get open. Like how much should they be doing right. without the ball? Right. I mean, ideally – yeah, that's why I love three on three. Um, I think three on three um, and, and with a dribble limit, you know, 
it almost forces players to have to learn to play without the ball. If you come to one of our practices, you're going to see us, you know, harping on movement without the ball, not, not just moving to move, you know, cutting with an intent to score, um, you know, filling out opposite and, and filling hard up top so you have a chance to score. But more importantly, because you can, you know, get a quick ball reversal and have that side top side action. Um, but it's totally a lost art. Um, and that's been one of the biggest uh, challenges for us is teaching our guys how to play without the ball. Um, even as simple as, you, you know, how to read your defender coming off a screen. Yeah. And you can ask, you can ask a, a junior senior in high school, if I'm going to footstep you, what do you need to do? And they may not know the answer. And to me, that's just, it's, it's eye opening, you know, learning, learning the game in a sense of you know, honestly, how to make it easier for you. You know, everybody just wants to run full speed sprint and, and, and basketball is a game of, uh, you know, changing of speeds. And that's where that's what we have found that our high school players are struggling with. Well, it's it's, it's funny because if you you know you brought up ball screens, is a lot of people really don't know how to read the different coverages. No, like the other day, um, myself and Ken McDonald were working with some guards, and we were working on you know, how to attack ice coverage. And there were 11 guards there and one of them understood what that meant. And then it was, yeah. you know, like snaking a ball screen and it's really just breaking it down to the basics to slow it down, to explain to them why, you know, like this is why you attack it. And it's really... And it's just really interesting to see the knowledge and the gap between here and college, you know, because you were part of a great, a doubt. you know, you were part of great programs. And like, what was that learning curve like from high school to college for you? I mean, specifically as a player. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's different. It's different for me in a sense because, um, you know, I wasn't the the most athletic, the fastest, strongest, whatever, quickest player on the court. I had to use my basketball IQ to help me. So I would say that the uh, the learning curve wasn't as large for me. But man, my teammates, uh, I would spend time after practice walking you know, juniors and seniors in college through progressions and, and how to guard something or how to attack something. You just, not to, not to knock on high school basketball because I'm a high school basketball coach, but um, the level of, of coaching, the basketball IQ is, is not the same everywhere. So, you know, you may have a couple of kids on your college team that have, have never heard of, you know, a hard hedge or, you know, whatever the case may be. So they're, they're almost having to be taught basic basketball and it, and you're talking about being at one of the highest levels, you know? 
put it put it in perspective at the high school level we we drill weekly on how to attack a ball screen and how to defend a ball screen and every week we do a different type of uh way a different type of way to defend it I mean, as the as the game has progressed the ball screen is more and more prevalent and you got guys out there that that don't know how to do it don't know how to defend it don't know how to attack it yeah and it's real it's really interesting you know talking about you know you talked about the three on three and you know breaking things down into smaller segments that's all we did you know at Tennessee with Pearl and Conzo is everything would be broken down for the guards where it was more contained action but you drill it more and to me that's skill development because you have to learn how to snake a ball screen and really in live action learn how to play play against yeah them. well and you know in live in live five on five you may get bailed out with some help in a three on three or even a two on two segment you know ball screen from the from the wing there's no help there so you're you're out on an island and you've got to figure out how to do it correctly and so you you drill it that way hoping that by the time you get to five on five it, it's muscle memory and it's repetition yeah. So what, when you're in preseason, you know, you know, we talked about getting shots up and all that stuff. How much if they do outside skill work, right? There's a million skill trainers now. Right, right. What would be your advice on that? Should they be doing more spot up shooting? Should they be doing more, you know, two on two live action? Or what would your advice be? Let's say from now until October and then from October on. Right. Well, you know, the first thing that jumps out is, in my opinion, we've got guys that are overtraining. Um, and, you know, they, they may not think they are. They may, you know, come back with saying how hungry they are, or how they, you know, it's because they want they want to, you know, be the best at it. But there is there's a fine line. You know, your body can't handle – um, you know, going two, three times a day, seven days a week. Um, and, and your body needs time to rest. Uh, so that's one thing that I think is extremely important is finding that balance. You know, everybody's body is different. Uh, I unfortunately went through five knee surgeries in my career. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with overworking. Um, so, you know, first, find what your body can handle. And then second, you know, right now, if I'm going, if I'm, if I'm working fall, let's say, let's say August to October, you know, I, I want to make sure that um, a portion of what I'm doing goes towards my weaknesses, like I said, but, you know, in my mind, you can groove your stroke and you can become a, a above average shooter uh, with, with little effort in a sense of spot shooting, you know, getting a gun out or getting the doctor dish out if you have access to it, or even, you know, a teammate, two-man shooting is phenomenal and kids don't really do that much anymore. Um, but gro grooving your stroke and spots, 
is only going to help you. And I, and I don't think it's very taxing on your body. Um, and, and the most important thing is when the season starts, less reps happen because you're in practice, you've got to supplement it. And, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with getting shot, making sure you get your shots up before school, after practice, because you can't count on um, a single pra team practice to, to get you better shooting wise. No, no, there's no doubt about that. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge for these kids during season to get those shots up? Or, or do you think there's not really challenges anymore where they have access to a gym pretty much whenever they want? The, the access is un, unreal. Um, and, and honestly, it kind of it is a negative effect from a coaching standpoint because I may have guys not really come into optional stuff because they're out with a trainer or they're out at another gym and getting work in. And here I am thinking they're only coming to the bare minimum, but they're actually working their tails off all week. Um, so the access is, is just unbelievable in a sense of gym availability. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big morning person, you know, even, even from eighth grade until I graduated college, I made sure every single morning, Monday through Friday, I was going to get, you know, a thousand shots up a day. I wish I would have transitioned to, you know, like 500 makes. I hate the I hate the mentality of just getting a certain amount of shots up. Um, you know, if you're going to practice, you need to you need to practice the right way, and and in that way, you need to be going off of makes. So my biggest thing is I'll tell our guys, hey, if you're going to come in the morning and you're going to shoot on our doctor dish, you know, let's see how many makes we can get, and then we base our our progression off of that. You know, maybe it's. 200 the first week and then you bump it up to 250 the next week and, and and so on is that the biggest thing that kids you think need to be doing instead of hey i made or i shot the ball 500 times go for makes so 100 kind of like what you were saying i'm going to do 200 makes a day compared to i'm going to shoot it 200 times I think you go off of makes for sure because I can stand out there and I can shoot and talk to you on the phone and shoot it 500 times. Um, now, you know, are those game-like shots? Probably not. So, you know, I think it's you go off of makes and I think you go game speed. There's there's no reason in practicing if it's not game speed. And that's that's been one of the biggest uh, – I guess negatives that that I see in in a lot of kids today is they'll come in and get an hour's worth of work in and not break a sweat. You know, you can't tell me that you're going game speed for an hour and you're not sweating at all. It's so funny you brought that up because it seems like a lot of kids well they think being in a gym for 2 hours is getting the work in but you can accomplish more in a 30 to 45 minute workout if you're going game speed instead of being in there for, you know, two hours. That was the biggest, that was the biggest adjustment for me from high school to college. Um, you know, I used to think that I worked hard and then I went through a 45 minute workout in college and I was exhausted. Um, 
And so, you know, I honestly, exactly what you said, 30 to 45 minutes game speed is plenty of work. You know, you don't need to go for two hours because in all honesty, you're probably spending 20 minutes trying to change your songs on your, your AirPods, <laughs> you know? Yep. Because, you know, no one can, no one can work out without the AirPods anymore. Right. Right. What, what is, what's been the biggest adjustment now that you've gotten a young group of middle school kids in to get them used to the high school game? Is it slowing the game? Like, is it the speed of the game, skill level, or is it, you know, more learning the game still? Uh, I would think it's two. It's, it's learning the game, um, you know, and, you know, we have, a, we have a great feeder program here at Maryville High School, but, um, you know, learning, you know, being a student of the game, learning the ins and outs of, you know, the offensive side and the defensive side has been a big adjustment. You know, you're, you're really talented incoming freshmen. They're talented because they already understand that. Um, but I think most importantly is the speed. Um, learning that changing your speeds um, is actually more beneficial. You know, when I tell a guy to set a screen up, you know, set their defender up, and I say, you need, you need to walk him towards the corner. Let's say I'm on the wing and I'm getting a pin down. You know, walk him away from the screen truly means walk him. Like, you get – like, my ninth graders will come in there and they'll take two sprints towards the corner and then they'll come off the screen – well, they're going so fast, the defense can't even react to it. Yeah. The, I think the the big thing right there, too, is like you were talking about walking them down. Is a, It seems like a lot of players do not use change of speed as much as they should anymore in today's no. game. The, yeah, they do when they're dribbling. I think – I think today's kid um, is probably, I mean, light years ahead of as far as ball handling goes because everybody is trying new moves and, and really working on it. I think they do a good job at changing speeds with the ball. But without the ball is where, you know, maybe the most important. Yeah. Do you think it's the kids don't realize – off the ball changing speed is such a value anymore because it's not really taught? Uh, without a doubt. You know, uh, I would love to, to just take a couple of weeks and go watch different high school practices um, just to see if, if it's being taught or not because, you know, that's something that we harp on a lot. And even us harping on it daily, we still – you know, battle it. It's still a, it's still a fight. Yeah. So I know we don't have much longer, but I do need to ask, how is it working now with your dad on staff? Cause you know, you were, <laughs> you were, you know, you, you've, you've been around and you've, you know, started that Nolensville program and what you guys were one gamer away from the glass house two years in a row. Right. Yeah, two in a row. Couldn't, couldn't get over that hump. 
So what is it like now, you know, having that experience underneath your belt of being a head coach and then now having your dad on staff with you? I'll tell you this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 33 tomorrow. So, you know, some would say I'm young. I, I feel like I'm old, but I, I'll go with the young. Um, you know, I, I got the Nolensville job um, when I was, oh gosh, I don't even know now, 26. And, you know, we started with just freshmen, sophomores, added a grade each year. So the first year we, we were, you know, playing varsity level with just freshmen, sophomores, won eight games. Uh, it was eight more than I thought we were going to win. <laughs> and then, you know, but we we preached just just a brotherhood, a, a family oriented program. Um, and man, the, those next two years, they bought into it and we were successful, you know, made it won the region both years, won district tournament both years, um, you know, just weren't able to, to win that sub state game, which still I lose sleep over. Uh, but so in my mind, those three years helped me prepare for what I'm doing now. Uh, being under Coach Eldridge here at the at Maryville High School helped me to where I am now. Um, but having you know my dad on staff with us has just been it's been it's been better than I ever thought it was going to be. To be honest, um, I didn't know how involved he would be. He's retired. He's playing a lot of golf. Um, I, I figured he would be kind of more of a, uh, advisor role type thing. I don't know why I thought that. Cause I've grown up with the man as soon as day one hit, he, he almost beat me to the gym. <laughs> um, it, it's been incredible though, you know, and what's neat is I don't really know if our guys understand, um, uh, that they're getting, you know, that quality of coaching day in and day out at this level um yeah. and yeah i'm biased because he's my dad but i've been around a lot of good coaches and and he still in my mind is is the the best coach i've ever been around and that's no knock on anyone else he just knows he knows how to connect with every player um and you know if, and that's step one if you can connect with them then they're going to play harder for you they're going to be more um, willing to learn. And, and it's it's evident watching him. Sometimes it's fun just to step back and, and look down on the other end and see what he's doing uh, just to kind of, you know, s- s- sit in awe. <laughs> so, you, obviously, you, you know, you grew up in a basketball family, but you've also been around some other really good head coaches as well. Talk about how important it is to have some mentors, you know, while you're growing up in this business. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, it's unbelievable the, the power that having good connections can be for you. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to, to go be a grad assistant at Belmont under Coach Bird um, and learned just so much about the game through him. I, you know, I think he, he looks at the game in a completely different lens than everyone else does. And it was, 
it was really cool to see it in that perspective. Um, and so, you know, having him in my corner has been just instrumental, you know, even at the high school level, having Coach Eldridge and, and uh, Coach Rodney Nelson, um, even Barry Wartman at Blackman, you know, all successful coaches. Um, the, the benefit is, you know, when you're around guys that win, you can start formulating your own, you know, your own ideas and visions by picking, you know, what you liked from this person or what you didn't like from this person. You may learn more on, on what you disagree with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, if, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a basketball coach or any type of coach at the high school college level, um, you cannot, uh, you cannot be successful without having, you know, a couple of mentors that are in the field to, to lean on and to ask questions to, because, you know, we're, you know, you've been in the profession, you know, everybody wants to help everybody out. Um, you just got to be willing to ask. You got to be willing to listen. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, not being afraid <clears throat> To ask. I remember being at GA and, you know, you would see these other guys at the final four and, you know, you put them on like this pedestal, but at the end of the day, you go to these events and they're all sitting around with some beers, drawing plays on napkins, breaking things down. They just love the game and they want to help, you know, grow the game. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so you you brought Wartman up. So we were both there together, um, different capacities. I was the uh, I was a freshman guy. You were the big varsity guy there. But just talk about you know learning from each stop. You know, like Wartman does a tremendous job at Blackman, and just kind of that culture that he's done there compared to other cultures you've been around because everyone yeah. has you know, different cultures, but we can all learn the good and the bad from all of them. Yo, without a doubt, um, you know, Coach Wartman at Blackman would love if they won a game and it was 44 to 40. <laughs> you know, he wants, no a, he wants a tough, you know, physical, uh, defensive-minded game. And, and I learned a ton just, just sitting back and watching. I mean, I used to take notes in practice and film you know on the bench just on things that he would emphasize um he does transition defense about as good as anyone i've ever been around yeah um and and that's evident you know and then you know you go the complete opposite of the spectrum and and, and coach eldridge here you know at, at maryville high school was a phenomenal offensive coach um and he you know, he really wanted to, you know, he was a, he was like almost a, a three point specialist and threes and layups only type guy um, to an extent. And, and so learning the offensive side through him and, and establishing roles through that was, you know, just equally as good. So now, now that I was able to be able to coach under both of those, you know, hopefully, in the future, my programs kind of mimic, you know, a well-rounded of all of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still say you run the two, three zone with man-to-man -man principles, but you know, 
I'm, I'm well, look, the, I've I've never heard anything more true than old old Jimmy B, your your former coach. Somebody asked him, you know, how is your two three zone so successful? And he he pulls out a whiteboard and he draws a regular two three zone, you know, and the X's are the normal size. And he goes, well, this is your two three zone. And then he he draws his, and the X's are like six times the size. He goes, it's because I recruit for my two three zone. <laughs> uh, I I remember Wartman. You know, I mean, I, I learned a ton from Wartman and then, you know, being at Tennessee with Pearl and Conzo, I learned more man-to-man stuff from Zoe in that one year than I probably knew in my entire life. But I remember being at Blackman with, you know, Trent and Brandon and all those guys. Like, I mean, I, I think we lost our first game and that was it. And Wartman Pride was so pissed at me because we stayed in that zone because we were, you know, <laughs> we were playing great defense in it. It's true, it's true. I mean, hey, if if you, I'm not a I'm not a man to man only guy. Yeah, I want our bread and butter to be a hard man to man defense. But if you know how to teach, you know, a two three or even, you know, the the old uh, middle. MTSU one three one that morphs into a two three. Uh, if you if you if you've got the right pieces, if it, there's nothing better than throwing that out there after a timeout or you know start a quarter with it. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. I know you got to get back to teaching some classes here, but we, you know we wish you hey, the I- best of luck this year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing out here. So keep it up. Thanks.